If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Well, yes, it is the Heretic Happy Hour And uh, you are in the right place uh, I am Keith Giles, the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, and uh, I am joined by my good friends Jamal and Matt for another episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. This is Jamal Javanchi. I'm author of Free to Love. It's great to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour. And this is Matt DiStefano. I'm a husband and father, the author of four books, and among other things, a professor of word vomit, or so it's been said. <laughs> and uh, as always, before we get into this, we got to have a word from our sponsor, and they, uh, they are, of course, the Unfundamentalist Group blog, and they're focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and they're dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in all economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online at facebook.com backslash, just kidding, forward slash unfundamentalists, or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. Jamal, take it away. Well, guys, <clears throat> I have an announcement. Is that okay? Yeah, bring it on. You're gonna, you're gonna do it whether we say okay or not. <laughs> <laughs> just play along. Uh, I just just play along. I want to be polite. <laughs> um, you know, basically, we had I, I, this is not a breaking news announcement because last week we had a breaking news announcement, but this is the second time, the first time that we've mentioned we're going to mention this for the second time, That's right. which is um, we're going to talk about Patreon, guys. We have a Patreon page, which is a huge encouragement and blessing to us. So um, over at uh, patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash uh-huh. heretic happy hour. So patreon.com forward slash heretic happy hour uh, is our, is our uh, Patreon page. And uh, you can join one of our three tiers. It's super easy to jump on board and, and uh, really help us keep this podcast going um we're, we're actually in, in the in the beginning of a campaign to raise about four hundred dollars which is not a lot of money it doesn't i'm sure that doesn't sound like a lot but it will that will help actually bring in a little bit of um income to help offset our expenses help us keep being able to devote the time and energy to producing this podcast and, and doing the interviews that we do and having the discussions we really feel like it's important and needed so definitely want to keep this going so thank you guys for jumping on board and helping us we have some new uh, Patreon supporters already since the last episode, and we're really encouraged. I want to give a little shout out to Jason Elam, Rebecca Conroe, Patty Beverlin, Rick Delamont, Corey Whitaker, um, Abram Peters, Mark Do- um, Doherty, um, Paul Wheeler, um, Denise Howard, Danielle, Danielle Kingstrom, and um, someone, what? Mary Magdalene. I don't no. think that's, that's, that's a typo. I don't know. That's a typo. But, yeah, don't but, read those notes. Yeah, but just really want to give a thank you guys so much. Um, really, really appreciate uh, appreciate your contribution and encouragement uh, to us. It really does mean a lot. Um, you know, really, it's you know not to to harp on this, but you know, it's really about thirty three cents a day. I think it comes out to be like ten dollars a month. Less than thirty three cents a day is like five dollars a month with our first tier. Second tier, I think is ten dollars. I believe is that right? Um, um, and that's, uh, yeah, 33 cents a day. And then I think what the other one's $20, which is, again, I don't do, do the math, but it's really not that much money if you think about it. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, setting that aside. And that really does go a long way. Um, so if you're listening to this and the, the Heritage Happy Hour has been a blessing to you, really would encourage you to 
um, to consider, you know, giving back and, and helping us keep this going. So you can do it pretty easily. Yep. And if everybody gets on board, we can hit our goals really, really quickly and easily. So thank you guys. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And Jamal, don't, don't you always announce something else or did you forget about that this time? Oh, what, what's that? Something about a hotline. I heard there was a rumor that we have a hotline. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When are we, when are we going to get that? No, we got it already. Um, I think that I think we got that already, and I, th- I think um, huh. yeah, I think we do. Uh, let me see. Look here at the notes here. It's two four zero. Oh yeah, there's a number two four zero three heresy or two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. And you know, this is you know, I think I think some of the listeners have uh, caught onto this, and I think they got they got the number down. We've uh, we 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 were getting some consistent. Uh, text and voicemails into the to the Heritage Cap Air hotline. So I'm really, really thankful for that. So, um, and uh, I think I've been distracted um, by the new Patreon page. So, but, but it's still a big deal that we have a hotline. No question about it. So let me, um, I want to, I want to queue up a text if we could. We... Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. It's not easy to type that out every time. So really appreciate your, your, your energy in that. So thank you to our producer for that. So here's the text. Okay. Here's this text. Let me queue it up. It's been queued up. Here it is right here. Quote episode 19 reminded me of something CS Lewis wrote in a grief observed quote to misunderstand a little less completely unquote. He was talking about death, but I think relates to understanding God and a ton of other things too. So thank you for that, listener. Appreciate your your comment there and that quote with um, by C.S. Lewis is uh, spot. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's no, that's good. I, I like that to misunderstand a little less completely. Mm. Like, isn't that isn't that what all of theology is? Just misunderstand yeah. things less and less because we're our, you know like we've harped on before. Our theology is not God. So let's let's yeah. get to a point where we acknowledge we're going to misunderstand something, but have it be less and less. That's I like that. Good job, Lewis. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah that's good. And just, you know, I, I, I probably don't need to say this, but let me just clarify uh, that CS Lewis is not the one who sent the text in. Mm. Um, <laughs> this is, this, this is a quote by CS Lewis. So let's get him on the yeah. show. No, he, yeah. I'll work on that. Yeah. Work on that. I think he's expired. <laughs> <laughs> However, this was a quote in by an unnamed listener who sent that in. So we really appreciate that text. And I also believe we have a voicemail. Is that right? We have a voicemail. Can we cue that up? Hey guys, it is Steve from Rockford, Michigan calling. I recently attended an Episcopal church, and when it came time for a communion, the priest made it known that everyone was welcome forward, not just Christians, but everyone, whether you believe in God or not, whether you're baptized or not. And it was, for me, personally, it was an epiphany. It was an incredibly moving moment. Um, I thought, yeah, this is the way it, it should be. Everyone is welcome at Jesus' table. Um, now I know there's uh, verses that one could point to that would say, hey, this is not cool, it's not the right thing. But I'm wondering, what are your thoughts? Uh, how would it impact um, the, the world if the majority of Christians would welcome everyone to the, the table of the Lord? Um that's a good question. Yeah. Who wants it? I, I I'll I'll jump in and say, yeah, I, I like I like that idea. I I think radical inclusivity um is absolutely amazing. Like aren't aren't people more important than beliefs? That's just where I'm at. Like, so let's invite people to the table and we'll worry about beliefs and and doctrines and dogmas or lack thereof later. 
Like that seems like a like a secondary issue than inviting people ra- with radical grace to the the table we're sitting around. That's just my thoughts. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have, a, I have my thought is, and this is this is something I've I've been, you know, I think I've been at this uh, this understanding for a while. I, I feel like what qualifies somebody to come to the table. You know, I remember growing up, and you know, I, um, you know, my my dad was Muslim. Um, and uh, my, my mom's Roman Catholic, so I remember I went to Mass as well. And I remember, you know, um, within within the Catholic Mass, I, you know, when it came time to take communion, only those who were had went through either you know the, the proper education, um, the, the catechism, um, or somebody who you know who, who who was had went through the you know to the point where they were considered Catholics in good standing, and had you know they were only the ones able to take. Um, communion, you know, and I know in the Protestant churches, you know, they will kind of give this clarification of like, you know, have, are you right with God kind of thing? Did you confess all your sins before you take the cracker, you know, and uh, <laughs> drink the, the grape juice? I just feel like that's such a, it's another, it's amazing how the very act of Jesus, the life of Jesus, like something that he told us to do in remembrance of him, that, that it run, that the root of rejection and tribalism and sectarianism runs so deep that we even use that picture to exclude people. When what if in order to come to the table, you just need to be human? Mm-hmm. What if that's the only requirement that your humanity qualifies you from being accepted and included in the family? I think, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, hey, if you're human, it means you're alive and you have existence, then you you're welcome at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, our house church um, in the past, we've had uh, Muslims come and join us. We've had, uh, of course, unbelievers come and join us. We've had, uh, and once we had a couple of students, these Chinese students who are all from like this healing light cult, uh, come in and hang out with us, and and uh, and they took communion with us, and we just explained to them like, you know, what it was. They had no idea what it was, and we explained to them, well, it's symbolically, this is you know the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, and by eat, drinking this and eating this, you're you're acknowledging that you are receiving Christ into your life, uh, even as you're taking the bread and the juice into your body, uh, and all that. And they were they listened, they asked questions, and then then they went and shared with us. And I thought that was great. I mean, uh, someone made a comment. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit later in our house church, and someone made a comment. You know, um, it's the Lord's table. Who are we to tell somebody they're not welcome at that table? You know, it's not our table. Uh, we don't get to, and actually, I think you have a lot of precedent in scripture where, you know, Jesus tells lots of parables where a man throws a banquet and uh, uh, he ends up going out and sending servants out to the highways and byways and calling people, compelling people, you know, to come in, uh, you know, the sick, the lame, the the sinners, like they go out and bring anybody and everybody out to to to, to his table. So I think, I think that's right. To me, I think that makes sense. I, I know that Christians get hung up on this because of that verse in first Corinthians, where Paul warns, you know, don't take the, the Lord's, um, don't come to the Lord's table and share the, you know, the communion table in an unworthy manner. But what he's talking about there, honestly, is just the way they treat one another. He's just saying uh, to really to love one another and consider others better than yourself in the sense that you don't like drink all the wine and eat all the food before, you know, other people get there, that you, you're showing love and charity to one another as you share the meal together. That's really all he means. But we, I think we've turned it into some mystical, magical meal um, that only certain people are invited to, and only certain people can have it. And I, yeah, I think that's just the wrong way to look at it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So, hey, let's let's, yeah. let's move on. I think we, I'm being told. I'm being told by the management it's time to move on. So, uh, yeah, move on. <laughs> 
So, hey, uh, listen, before we jump into uh, our next segment, I got I to gotta make a, the announcement that this is a very special episode. Um, we, we normally only post podcasts and record podcasts every other week. And we just released a new one today. Like as we're recording this, we just released one today uh, with Mike Morell, episode 20. But even though we just released one today, we're recording right now another one. This is a special edition uh, because we wanted to talk about this issue of salvation. And we wanted to share the Carlton Pearson interview with you, which will be coming up very soon. But I also, before we get to that, I need to make another announcement. Yes, so much new stuff is happening here at, at the Heretic Happy Hour. We have a website, guys. If you go to heretichappyhour.com, uh, it's amazing. So there's all kinds of cool stuff there. Uh, you can download, I think you can download the theme song, Barrett Johnson's theme song. Uh, you can download, um, you can download the, the drinking, the drinking game. game. Yeah. The, yep. You should play wow. along at home. You can print that out on PDF there and play <laughs> or don't, or don't <laughs> <laughs> No, well, whatever, you know, whatever, how you, how you like to play. It's up to you. Um, and then there's even a way for you to play the heresy button. So if you're ever in an argument with somebody, uh, you just like pull that out on your phone and then hit that button and it'll scream heresy and you win the argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just like we do online. It's just like we're just bringing this online experience to your real lives, people. Come on. That's right. That's exactly isn't, right. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> so you can play along at home. All right. So, hey, uh, that's enough. Uh, I think it's time to move into our next section, which is our Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hello, I'm Carlton Pearson, and I'm a heretic. <laughs> Hi, Carlton. <laughs> So we were we were talking. It was really funny at the beginning before we hit record. We were asking you, uh, "What do we call you?" Because you know we we don't want to we don't want to. Should we call you Bishop? Should we call you uh, Carlton, Mister Pearson, Bishop Pearson? You know what do we what do we call you? And um, I really liked your response. Could you tell us what you what you said? I said, "Just call me Son of a Bishop." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. That's beautiful. That's what a lot of people think about me these days. Oh, very good. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, um, thank you again for being on the program. I've, uh, I, I, I got to admit, I've watched. Um, I got a little link from Netflix to watch uh, the film Come Sunday, which is based on your story. Uh, I've watched it now twice, and it's amazing. It's a phenomenal film, and uh, that we want to talk to you about you and your life and a little bit of your story. So, um, typically, what we want to do is when we bring people on the program is to just find out from them. What is it about you? What? Why do people call you a heretic? Well, the first reason was I, I started preaching that not only Christians would be in heaven, something Billy Graham was saying toward the end of his life as well. Uh, and that I, I believed in hell, but mm -hmm. I just didn't believe anybody would be there because of the finished walk, work of the cross or of the Christ. Then, because of pressure from my detractors, I began to study and first explain, then I got defensive, and I ended up not even believing in the biblical hell and that the language and the words that Jesus used would not have included hell. He used the word Gehenna from the Aramaic or Hebrew language, and that means something different than the hell that Dante's Inferno talks about. So that's the primary reason is that most yeah. believers are so devoted to hell and a supervisor named the devil and a God who created such a customized torture chamber they just can't give it up it means so much to them. yeah yeah absolutely well um uh bishop pearson it's an honor to have you this is jamal by the way it's an honor to have you on the podcast thanks jamal yeah and i i have uh, been following your story for quite some time 
Um, and I've been really just, I was riveted. I heard your story probably a little over a year ago uh, in, in its length. And I would love for the listeners to get a, just a, a, a snapshot of how this process began for you. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I mean, if, if, going back to the 1990s, I mean, you were your pastor of probably, you know, one of the largest churches in America, if I understand that right. Um, Higher Dimensions Church out of uh, Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, I believe. Mm-hmm. And at it was in the in the kind of the height of that of your ministry there, and um, I believe you had a revelation like this came kind of came out of the blue. If, if I'm understanding correctly, your story right that one night you were watching TV and you were just you know you're tired. I think you were probably in the, in the midst of what is a what was a fun, fundraising campaign or something, and you just kind of like saw some people who were suffering uh, maybe an infomercial about folks who were like dying of starvation, and you just kind of cried out to, to God on their behalf and what you heard back from understanding correctly set this motion, set this unraveling of this doctrine of, you know, eternal conscious torment kind of un- started unraveling that for you. Could you talk a little bit about that? How that began for you? Well, I was, I didn't get married till I was 40 years old because I thought I wasn't supposed to get married. I was going to be like Paul and Jesus and save the world before I died and have, leave nothing in the earth, but maybe something for my parents and, uh, that kind of thing. And I, and I studied under Earl Roberts. I was his protege, studied biblical literature, English Bible. That was my major, minored in theology, historical studies, a third, fourth generation classical Pentecostal tongue talking, pew jumping, devil thumping, Bible token Christian. And that was my dream to, to touch the world and change it for Jesus. Um, and of course, a picture always looks better from a distance. When you really get up close and see the institution, you learn the craft and the crap of ministry. And mm-hmm. you decide which one you like, or you try to figure out if you could do the craft without the crap, and you really can't if you believe certain things. One is that uh, your God has a terrible anger management issue, throws tantrum, yep. it creates customized torture chambers like hell, is making a list, checking the trials, gonna find out who's not or nice, coming back as a thief in the night, I'm vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I'm a jealous God. I shall have another. This God has um, sort of so- sociopathic um, personality traits and multi-personality traits and uh, is is uh, schizophrenic. And you start worshiping this God and taking on those characteristics and then repenting to that same God for them. Jealousy, hatred, vengeance. He tells us to turn our cheek and he says, yeah, but I'm going to burn them forever. Just let me get my hands on them. Uh, I struggled with it. I could not reconcile uh, eternal damnation and mercy that was eternal. How can mercy endure forever and hatred, which is what hell is, endure forever? I had too many relatives and cousins and friends dying and going to hell, particularly my dad's parents who were Pentecostal preachers, both of whom backslid. Uh, my, my, uh, my grandfather became a womanizer, good-looking, part Native American, part Af- African-American man, couldn't bear, could barely read, struggled with Jim Crow and and the issues around racial discrimination and then the God that was also discriminating against people from holiness to unholiness, uh, holy spirits to unholy spirits, the dual consciousness. We were becoming psychotic. I was hanging out with people who were mentally ill and I knew it. And I was becoming mentally ill and I was freaking out. And I went through that for 30 years before I had the guts to say, this is pretty creepy and it's becoming increasingly crappy. It's BS. I need to, to deal with it. Yep. And then I got married because I wasn't successful with my ministry as a single person. I thought I'd be more effective as a married person. I always wanted kids. 
I always wanted sex. I was a, I was a straight um, uh, um, uh, um, celibate guy most of my life. Uh, I didn't uh, believe in sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage. And so, of course, I struggled and believed the scripture that says, endure hardness like a good soldier, because that's in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so <it's>, yes. <laughs> that's many, many meanings there that's in the bible son you got to read that book so that's I, right. I struggled with all of that and then i get married i'm sitting in front of a television beautiful home big church traffic jams jet setting across the country preaching all over the world millions of people on television and radio and thousands hundreds of thousands and live things i've got my little baby on my lap i'm watching my screen television and i see these hungry hurting uh, Rwandans returning to Uganda from Rwanda, Hutsis and Tutsis, starving, forlorn looks, babies with s- distended stomachs. Uh, the mothers would sit down, the baby was pulling on the breast. The breast is like a deflated balloon. There's no milk and the kids are hungry. The mother has absolutely hopelessness, a stare in her eyes. And I'm holding my little fat-cheeked mm. baby, Mercedes in the in the garage, plenty of food there. And I just felt terrible and I felt angry. I thought I was anointed. I found out that I was really just annoyed at a lot of the stuff that was happening in the church world and outside it. So I said to God, assuming that these people starving were Muslims and going to hell because I'm, I once was young, David said, now I'm old, never seen the righteous forsaken, nor its seed begging bread. And I knew a lot of Christians that were beggars uh, and we fed them. As pastors, I had a whole ministry feeding people. And I used to go around as a little kid feeding hungry people. Um, so I had all these mixed emotions. And that's when I said to God, how could you be a loving God with eternal mercy and just suck these poor people right into hell? And that's when I felt I heard God say, so that's what you think we're doing. We are doing. I never heard the term we're. Um, yes, that's what I, I believe that's happening. And what would, what would change that? Well, of course, they need to get saved. And if they got saved, then you wouldn't take them into hell. Oh, so if you think that the only thing that would stop that is you <clears throat> get them saved, why don't you put your little baby down, turn off your big screen television and jump on the first thing smoking and go get them saved. And then I broke. I started, I was angry oh. and I felt guilt. And I said, God, don't put that guilt on me. I gave you the first 40, 40 best years of my life. And now you're giving me this wife and these two little children, and you're telling me to abandon them and go save the world. I cannot, I'm doing the best I can. I cannot save the whole world. And that's when I thought I heard the voice say that you, precisely. That's what we did 2,000 years ago. Tell them that. They're not going to hell. Can't you tell they're already in hell? That's hell. Mm-hmm. You guys created it. Now, that's when, when people say God's speaking to me, they're really just talking to themselves. So I'm, I'm hearing my voice. I was just thinking out loud. I was arguing, playing the devil's advocate, and um, I brought up scripture. What scripture? Who scripture? Who are you talking about? What do you mean by scripture? My word. You know, and that's when I started questioning, quote unquote, the word of God. And uh, I was dumb enough to get up in my pulpit the next Sunday and tell them <laughs> that experience, and uh, which they seemed to like in general, yeah. the compassion part of it. Um. And then I started talking on evangelism. We're not ridding the world. We're just swapping sheep and recycling saints. We're not really growing here. We're just getting fat. I know we have traffic jams and I know the place is packed, but I, I don't feel like we're impacting the world. And of course, today I am, I, but I didn't before. 117 million 
subscriptions to this one network. Who knows how many of them will watch this movie, but I think far more than would have gone to a theater or would have come to my church or see me on television stations, which are becoming increasingly unpopular to generations after us. You guys, your age group and younger. So anyway, that okay. started the whole problem. And my, my grandmother went to hell because she was a backslidden missionary. She played the dogs, my dad's mother, the night before she died. And daddy saw her with her arms hanging off her gurney, her breasts exposed, her mouth open, hanging open in her eyes because they had tried three times to unsuccessfully resuscitate her from a massive heart attack, which killed her. And as far as we knew, my dad believed, sent her to hell. And that's where she'd spend eternity. Yeah. And that was killing my dad. And he... Yeah. He, when I sat, on, it, 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 he was about 78 years old, and he tears were shooting down his face when I explained to him that the word hell doesn't appear in the language of Jesus. And I explained the languages, and I explained the research. He said, are you telling me my mom is not in hell, son? And he's bawling. I had a conversation yeah. with Earl Roberts, and I convinced him that his gay son, who committed suicide, wasn't in hell. And he didn't, he didn't outright affirm it, but he did say, I've listened very carefully, son, to every word you've spoken, and I like what I hear. That was my last wow. conversation with him. That's, and uh, not, Well, my last long conversation. Mm, that's beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. And then Billy wow. Graham, so, I mean, here's... I had this one thing that Billy Graham said when we, because these are powerful conversations that, that all added up to a number of things to make me basically abandon uh, the faith of my fathers. First of all, faith is for people who doubt. Uh, it's, it's for doubters and people who don't believe. <laughs> so most of these people who tell you they're people of faith are actually telling you they don't believe. And they're not sure and they doubt. Faith is the substance of things. Hope They hope they're right, but they ain't sure. So um, I'm going from believing to knowing in my soul and in my cells that the greatest story ever told is probably just the greatest story ever sold. And we bought in. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to ask ourselves what we believe, why we believe it, and how those beliefs add to or subtract from the quality of our lives. Billy Graham spoke at the Oklahoma bombing 20 some years ago. And I had to, I got to host him all day because the governor, Frank Keating, who was a friend of mine, realized with this memorial service, the CNN was coming in, satellites were coming in, the Clintons were coming in, their cabinet was a big world thing. He had to attend to all those big boys. He said, can you come early and sit with with the Graham? And I had Jim Baker fresh out of prison on my stage at my conference in Tulsa the night, the same day the bombing took place. My gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was, I'll write a book about it, all this later. But anyway, he said to me, He's shaking with Parkinson's disease. This is the Billy Graham, you know, the second cousin to the Holy Ghost. He comes into the the governor's mansion, and I remember how tanned and creased his face was, and his hair was thinning but nicely dyed, and Ruth was behind him short and in great pain with osteoporosis, and Billy Graham was shaking and said it hurts to even hold a pen. And within five minutes, I cut his breakfast up for him. We sat at the governor's table there. And the first thing he said, one of the first things is, is I, um, you know, son, I've been preaching over 50, preaching the gospel over 50 years. And I, I think the world is worse than it was when I started. Hmm. And I, I never thought I'd come to Oklahoma City to preach a memorial service for 180, nearly 200 people who were killed because of the worst act of terrorism on American soil. The world is worse. America is even worse. And I'm 
in my 80s. I don't know what I'm even going to say to that crowd today. What are you going to say? And I said, sir, you're the, you, you know, you, you buried priests and princes and presidents. What You've done this before. You're an expert at it. He said, no, no, this is different, son. This is not New York or San Francisco. This is Oklahoma City. How did this, this is the buckle of the Bible belt. How do things like this happen if I'm effective? My, my friend and your mentor, Oral Roberts, up the street, I dedicated that school in 1967. Look at this. He said, you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm going to stop trying to convert people and just convince. Now, this is just me and him. He said right. his wife was behind him, and Franklin was behind her, and my wife was behind me. So it was really Billy and I talking. He just opened up to me. And I think it was, quote, unquote, a God-ordained, even we atheists believe in God when we want to. Um, we, um, it was a God-ordained event. And he said, I, I think that we've been trying to convert people. We haven't convinced them that God loves them. We just convinced them that God judges them. Wow. Wow. That's where we're. Yep. So that, was, that had yeah. a huge impact on me to, um, to start rethinking among getting other people out of hell, like my grandparents and my dad and uh, Oral. And, and then I stopped believing in the whole obscure and obscene, vulgar concept of eternal damnation. What's, there's no redemptive virtue or value in that concept. How can mercy endure forever and torment endure forever? So I just kept playing the devil's advocate. I used all the scriptures. That's why a lot of these fundamentalists won't argue with me, because they can't bring up a scripture I haven't already thought of. And I've got one to match them. Yeah. Plus the principle of the moral character of a loving God who even could think of something as horrid as eternal weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. It's stupid. It's, it's mythological mm-hmm. paganism. And I, I just think it's dumb in the 21st century to not do the, the background study and the research to find out if we really got it right. And I think we got it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think um, what, I love, what I love about your story, Carlton, is that— um, so you heard God's voice, and I believe you really did. And then, then you, you searched the scriptures to see if it was true, and you realized, wow, there's a, actually, this is really, you know, the gospel really is good news. Yeah. It's, it's not bad news that I'm going to roast you forever. It's actually good news. He loves you, yeah. and he's made a way. He's covered, you know, a way to be with you forever. Mm-hmm. He's made a way. Mm-hmm. But, but you had a choice, and, and I think you made a very brave choice because you could have just kept your mouth shut and kept it to yourself, and maybe written a book right before you died. Uh, or uh, you could go out there like you did on Sunday morning and drop the bomb. Uh, and you paid a very high price for that. And can you talk a little bit about that price that you paid personally, as well as you know in your ministry? Because it was uh, it was not, as you said, very well received in the beginning. Well, I didn't I didn't count up the cost because I I didn't think it would be that expensive. I thought I would just teach this little series on evangelism and then go back to the same old same old. And the the religious people. You know, nobody can hurt you or hinder you, harm you, or even hate you like somebody you love or who loves you. That's right. Love is a sloppy, awkward, sometimes tethered and tattered word. Compassion is a different word because it means you feel the pain of the person that you're empathizing with. Um, Christianity can be very non-empathetic and they, they didn't care. They were so angry. So they pushed me, pushed me, pushed me. First, I was trying to explain or make plain what I was saying. That's what that word means. And then I got defensive. They started ticking me off. I started getting hurt. The church is out of step. It doesn't know. And it's on the wrong side of history. Yes. 
It's going out. It's going into. I don't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. I believe it might be the inspired word of man about God as man understood a Jewish man. It's a Jewish book written to Jews uh, 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 by Jews about a Jewish understanding of divinity. It was at one time uh, inspired. Now it's become expired. A lot of it, it just it just is irrelevant. <laughs> no, it's a, that's that's yeah. a great way to put it. <clears throat> that's a great way to put it. Um, well, I have a question. I have a statement. Actually, I there's a statement that uh, is associated with you that I I wanted to ask you to unpack if that's possible um, because I've I've found it to be just riveting and it's the statement Christians or you know typical you know more of your traditional evangelical Christians would have no problem with most of the statement until the end. So here's the statement and it says God dwells with us, which everybody would agree with. In us, no problem there. Around us, that's that's fine. Uh, as us. And I wanted to ask you if you would unpack what do you mean when you say that God actually dwells as us? Well, I'm going to quote Jesus, and you know we can't verify that traditional Jesus ever really existed except with the Scripture, and there's a lot of question as to uh, if he did. But And I don't believe in him because I I have to. I believe in him because I want to, at least the Christ principle, if not the person. Um, I, he, but I quote him when he said, is it not written in your laws? And he was talking to Pharisees, ye are deities, gods with a little g. Um, the closest thing to God I think any of us will ever get is self-actualization. And then that means becoming actually, factually, functionally, punctually, not impersonating, not an imposter, that you are so dynamic and so creative. And the primary trait about this, this amazing intelligence that's more of a principle than a person that we call God is mm. creativity. I mean, I'm talking to you right now live, you're hearing me, and if we turned on our little cameras, we might even be able to see each other because of the creative ingenuity of a human being, being excellently human, excellently human. We are creators. Our words create, our thoughts create. We spell words, but words also spell us or cast spells on us. That's what a spellbinding preacher is, mm -hmm. is, is a reference to. Uh, we're, in, we're enchanted or we are encanted or incantations enchanted, even the Gregorian chant, the constant or the cantor in the, in the synagogue. It's a repetition of something mm -hmm. that conjures energy or gods or either Einstein or Yoda sitting on a throne with a robe on and some sandals and a scepter <laughs> uh, making the list to check it twice. I don't believe in that, that God anymore because it doesn't work for me and hasn't. Look, guys, I've laid hands on people and cast demons out of them with them cursing and frothing and, and writhing. I believed in that. I experienced that. I've seen gorgeous disappear, blind eyes open a few times. People jump out of stretchers in a wheelchair. I was in that whole healing thing with Oral Roberts and Catherine Kuhlman and Morisarello and R.W. Shambach. But then the guy who, who believed in supernatural healing most in a most, most pronounced world, Oral Roberts, died trying to build a hospital. People came to Oral Roberts for 40 years for hospital prevention, not invention. That's why it failed. He always believed in prayer and medicine, but he couldn't mention medicine. It took him a long time to get to the place where he didn't even wear a pair of glasses, Kenneth Hagen reading glasses. Benny Hinn has prescription glasses right now. He was a friend of mine for years, but he would never wear them in the service. After the service, he'll put on his cool shades, but they're prescription. 
So we've been living a lie. And um, Kenneth Copeland uh, has been a dear friend of mine for a long time. He, he doesn't wear glasses, but the letters on his Bible <laughs> are big. <laughs> he had especially printed. He can afford to do that. His letters are so big. You can see them from across the street. <laughs> but because he's a man of faith and he doesn't want people to know that he struggles with. Wow. I, so I'm, and I, I, I know that was a long answer, but I believe in the elegance, eloquence, and excellence of human beings being human and not feeling sinful because they are humans. That's so good. Yeah. And God would, if God exists in any form and wanted to experience itself, maybe that's why he would have created us. Mm. Experience itself on this level. Yeah, that's so good. Would you say that Jesus, the historical Jesus, would be a an example of a self actualized sex self actualized human uh, in the same way that we can be? Yes, uh, the word Buddha means enlightened. Jesus may have studied Buddha because he existed, you know, thousand years before Jesus. We don't know from age 18 to 30, that's 18, age 12, the 18 years, the Bible is completely silent on what and where Jesus was. He could have been in India, could have been in Egypt. Mary could have been an Egyptian. Maybe that's, she had, maybe she's from African roots and takes him down to Northern Africa for protection from Herod. But I think he learned the healing sciences. I I wouldn't be surprised if he learned self-actualization, self-realization by studying under the, some of the shaman and, and ashrams in Egypt or India or around the world. And when he came back to Jerusalem, if he did, in the power of the spirit after the wilderness temptation, he had learned some of the esoteric ways and metaphysical ways uh, and paradigms and tried to recreate it for his denomination and for the world. I think he was a metaphysician. I think he was a scientist in his thinking. I think he was a brilliant intuitive. And I think so was Krishna and Buddha and Mithra and Zarastra. I mean, there's about eight or nine other God-men type people who have existed in history who were born supposedly of virgin birth with 12 disciples and were teachers and called sons of God and had some tragic, traumatic execution and were supposed to have been raised again from the dead and supposed to return. If you really do the research, guys, you'll find out that Christianity is a compilation of a bunch of myths. Uh, and traditions that have been literally traded down, that's what the word tradition means, over the centuries and concocted by a man who wasn't a Christian, Constantine, who created Christianity in corporate and paid Eusebius and those other men to create the Nicene Creed in Nicaea, which started the Holy Roman Empire, which still exists. And finally, they have a pope who doesn't believe in hell. He's a Franciscan pope, or Jesuit, I should say, who doesn't believe in hell. So something's changing really powerful something is fun but it's powerful yeah yeah i wanted to say um i think uh it's also possible as you were talking you know kind of like wondering about jesus and we we did a previous podcast in fact uh, a few months ago about how you can see christ in unchristian things or you can hear similar messages that jesus um spoke in other religions and buddha and um philosophy and things like that Socrates, for example, and people like that. And so what one thing I think is possible, and see what you think about this, uh, Bishop, I think, uh, for example, you heard God speak to you, and you're convinced mm-hmm. that God spoke to you about, about this issue. 
And that was a major change in your life. I think it's also possible that that the, in, in the same way that Buddha received enlightenment from God about these things, that Jesus also, without having to travel to, uh, you know, physically mm-hmm. have a have a have lunch with Buddha, that God could have spoken to Jesus the same way He spoke to you, the same way He enlightened Buddha, the same way He's enlightened, and I would say still enlightens people to this very day. Um, he could have had a very genuine, you know, uh, encounter with God, a revelation of God, uh, in the same way. And it's just interesting that they are, there's overlap. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's not that's yeah, not unreasonable at all. What you're saying is not at all unreasonable. If 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 um, I think Thomas Edison and and uh, the creator of computers and lights and 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 automobiles, Henry Ford, all these people, many of them who fasted and prayed or lost their appetites and sometime somehow meditated and went into some other dimension of transcendence or went to a trance. Uh, and got this information. And uh, even the so-called medicine men and witch doctors who would go into meditation to create medication to deal with this sexually transmitted disease we call life, that's been happening for years. They would go into meditation. They would come up with some kind of formula, an herb. Who who knows, but there might have been some cannabis in the Garden of Eden, <laughs> uh, an herb that uh, helps deaden pain or treat the source as well as the symptoms of pain. Um, we are creative people. We 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 um, uh, we're not just multidimensional. We're interdimensional. I think we we do go back and forth into parallel universes, and there may have been some pre-incarnate reality, and that we probably agreed to come here, come here knowing, and then between the womb and the tomb, went through some kind of amnesia and forgot what we knew, and started panicking that we were here, feeling victims of creation, of victims of destiny, or victims of um, of uh, uh, procreation, so we're not really victims. I think we, and, and I'm talking, I'm saying this because one day I, I stopped protesting that I was here and said I heard a voice, the same voice I would have called God. What if you not to tell me? But what if you agreed to come here, Carlton, and forgot about it? Like, what do you mean? What if you entered a, a pre-incarnate covenant, a soul signature? some kind of agreement or contract to come to this plane net, this planet or plane of consciousness to experience your divinity, express and expose it to the world and help remind other peoples of theirs. Yes. Yes. Now that to me makes a whole lot more sense than cramming and quoting scriptures. Though I like the Bible and I I can use it like everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. I think there's just so much for people to, I I love what you're saying about self-actualization and uh, also just, um, just coming here, just understanding that the essence of who we are, like, what if we are, uh, you know, everything I've always been struck with when Jesus would talk about his divinity and he would use these, this terminology to, to reference his own divinity. He never did it from my understanding. He never did it in an exclusive way, the way that Christianity has traditionally made it exclusive to Jesus. The more I go down this road, the more I see, wait a minute, he's talking about all of us, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just absolutely incredible. Um, and I love, I just love the journey that you've been on um, and, and the work that you're doing now. I think it's so important. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, where, what, what, what are you the most excited about when you look at your future, when you look at the, 
the you know the immediate future and what you see unfolding through your work and your life what what are you, what are you the most excited about how can people get in touch with with what you're doing now the movie is come sunday the movement is come monday <laughs> i think something happens on monday that should be affected and not infected by what happens on sunday yeah well, this has been amazing. Uh, I got to say, I just want to make sure I, I say this to you while I, I have a chance to talk to you. I love you. I think you're amazing. Uh, I love what you're doing. I love your message. I love your heart. And uh, I just am very so grateful and so blessed that you've come to share your story and your perspective with us and with our listeners. Thank you so much. I love you guys. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. Thank you for flowing with the tide and times and creating this essence that you have in the earth. You're helping a lot of people. You won't know it right away, but I'm telling you, I've been at this almost 50 years. Follow your heart. You came to this planet for such a time as this. And when the student is ready, as you know, the teacher appears. Well, I, I totally received that. Thank you so much. Wow. So that was an amazing conversation with Carlton Pearson. I think we even have a, a bonus segment for those people on Patreon. Uh, so if you're a Patreon supporter, you'll be able to go and listen to uh, an extra segment that, that you didn't get to hear just now. Uh, a little bonus for you. But um, wow, what an amazing guy. Have you guys seen the film? You know, I, I actually haven't seen the film yet, but I'm really excited to see it. I, I'm blown away that it's out net Netflix and, you know, some some star actors, what Danny Glover and Martin Sheen and others. And uh, man, it's just incredible. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's an all star cast. Yeah. I, I've seen it, but I got to disagree with you. That that was not a great interview. And, and do you know? Do you want? Do you know why? Well, it was missing a key ingredient to the Heretic Happy Hour. Well, you know, it was missing. Yeah. Come well, on well, now. Listen, Matt. Listen, listen. If you, if you if you don't have anything nice to say, this is why we had to hit mute on you most of this most of this interview. Because you know, <laughs> you have to say constructive things, or else we're going to just meet you every time. You're right. I was just condemning yeah. that guy to hell because, man, what what heresy he was preaching. Such heresy. But uh, all, all joking aside, yeah, I had a, um, a mandatory uh, training at my job, and I, I tried desperately to get out of it because I really wanted to get this interview and I wanted to be involved. And and now that you know, I listened back to it, I'm like, damn, I really did miss a great interview. Because I, <laughs> uh, I didn't even. I, I didn't even realize you weren't in that interview, um, Matt. Were, you weren't oh, there. God. No, no, I, no. In all seriousness, oh. Matt, it, it's uh, there is no replacing you. I really, we did miss you for sure. Thank you for feeding my ego. Yes, no, we just, yes. we just love. Yes, it. we did. It was not the same. But I, I did see the movie, and Come Sunday was absolutely incredible. Um, all kidding aside, but, like my my wife loved it. It was it was a powerful film, and but but here's yeah, I did. I, yeah, I, I, I heard I heard something, and Keith, you could probably and you and Matt uh, uh, could probably vouch for this because um, uh, I have heard, and I'm kind of proud of this, that even though the the movie on Netflix was you know obviously groundbreaking and very enlightening, that what he had to say on our podcast uh, went way beyond what he shared in the movie and what the movie was about. So, oh yeah, yeah. I, I actually yeah. really love Baker. this interview. It 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 um it's it's right up there for me of, of being one of my. You know, I appreciate everybody we've interviewed, but really for me personally, my own, just I really love um, everything that Carlton had to say, and um, it's right up there with you know for me with uh, the interview that we did with Richard Rohr, who is coming out. What when is that coming out? Is that next week? Yeah, two weeks. Uh, two weeks. Well, yeah. Well, yes. In about 
if it depends on if you're listening to this right now, it's a week from now for us. So it's two weeks. Yeah. It's confusing. Yeah. yeah. It'll it's be confusing. out soon. It'll be, it'll be, <laughs> it'll be the next episode after this. And yes, yeah. that's the easiest yeah, thing to exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I think, I think his interview, um, you know, go see the movie, go see come Sunday. It's on Netflix, you know, check that out because it, it is. A so you don't have to go, you don't have to go see it. You don't have to go see it. It's on your TV <laughs> at your house. You have to go pick up your tablet or your, or your, or your, you know, well, it's not, it. it's not technically on the TV. It's actually on the Netflix that you get on the TV. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it really helps us transition into our topic, what we want to talk about. And, and we want to talk about salvation and what it means to be saved, because this is, this is really what Carlton Pearson and, and not just him, but so many of us who preach a radically inclusive message, you know, this is what we get pushed back on this issue of salvation. What are we saved from? What are, what are, when, when we confess Jesus Lord, or when we pray that magical prayer that somehow activates salvation, like, what does that mean? Is, is, is that what we're talking about? Or is, or is there something much, something else going on when it comes to salvation? So when we talk about being saved, I know we assume things in the church, but there are some other ideas out there. Do you, you guys want to start kicking this off with some thoughts? Well, um, I, I just wanted to start with an idea or just something. This is just, I'm being really honest with you guys. Like I, I'm, this is where I'm at right now. Um, cause I've been thinking about this for a while now. Um, and we've talked a lot about, you know, we, we've done podcasts about hell and I know we've even talked about, um, you know, universalism a lot. And so, I don't know. I was just sort of thinking recently, like, if all the verses where Jesus is, is um, we've misunderstood him, you know, where people have thought, oh, he's talking about hell. He's talking about this place you go after you die. And then we realize, well, if we look at those verses critically, we realize, well, that's actually not at all what he's talking about. He's really talking more um, in a prophetic way about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is coming in AD 70. So, so my thought was that, well, if Jesus' statements about hell are not about where we go when we die, then maybe the statements about being saved or about salvation are also not about where we go when we die. And then maybe the, those statements are also very practically about whether or not you, um, in other words, if you put Jesus' teachings into practice, you will avoid the fate of those who are going to you know, die when when this horrible event happens in AD 70. So anyway, that's just where I'm at. I I'm honestly, I'm just throwing it out there. I haven't, I haven't chased down all the verses. I haven't wrapped everything up in a bow. I don't have any final, you know, conclusion on that. I may be completely wrong about that, but that's just kind of my inclination at the moment. That's kind of where I'm thinking right now. Um, and, and also Carlton Pearson in the movie comes Sunday, you know, his perspective was his sort of epiphany was that um, everyone is already saved. In other words, Jesus still saves everyone, but he did it uh, on the cross. His blood saved everybody, whether you know it or not. Um, <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's 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 another perspective. So anyway, what do you guys think? Yeah, you know, this is a this is a very important topic. It's a, because there's so many assumptions that are made. But when you, I think it's good to go back to the beginning and to say, okay, what when we say this is my understanding of salvation. Salvation isn't like, hey, you're you're being like, like to me, salvation is consistent with life. I think that's actually it could be a synonymous word for life. 
Life and salvation is life. Yeah. So life is actually the norm. You're born, obviously you're born into this world and life is, it, you're born with life. That's what causes everything to exist. And there's a quality of life. I find it very interesting that in Carlton Pearson's, you know, and he's sharing his story and obviously like there's um, a, dis- he's, he's watching these people, this infomercial um, and he's like seeing these people dying of starvation and that kind of thing. And, you know, he's basically, you know, like what God spoke to him was, is like, Hey, listen, like, can't you see like they're already in hell? Like you, you're thinking that hell is some future right. event. He's like, no, but they're not, they're there right now. Like, yeah. and my, my yeah, heart exactly. is to remedy them from this, from this, that's from this situation. So somebody could look at that and go, well, they're not actually in hell right now because they're still alive, but there is. So then it, I think we need to revisit this idea of like, well, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to truly live? And I don't think it's just, you know, vital signs. You have a heartbeat, you know, your, your body's functioning. I think true life. And I think this gets into what Jesus is talking about. He's like, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so the quality of life, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's, 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 I think to truly be alive is to be at rest, to be at peace, to have joy internally. It's this, the things that we that are called the fruit of the spirit, but this is an internal quality. So whatever gets in the way of life, like eat. And what I, what I mean by life is like this easy and light disposition, this disposition of in, just like literally being alive, present, conscious, and, and enjoying a measure of peace and, and just lightness and whatever. I mean, I could go on about that, but like to me, anything that gets in the way of that causes suffering. So whatever, whatever break gets in the flow of what experience in life is, is what God has come to save us from. And these are ideas. So ideas have consequences. So false beliefs, beliefs that you're separated, that you're judged, that you're rejected, all these things, these get in the way that you don't measure up, that you're less than the full image and likeness of the divine. I honestly believe that's what has caused the hell that people need to be saved from. It's not about being saved from God or being saved because somehow like, you know, you're going to, I mean, people are perishing. If they're, if you're living life and you feel internally discontent, if you feel anxiety and pain and, and just like, that's not living, that's not what you were destined for. Like we were destined for just you know, yeah. life and flow. Yeah. And I, I, not to get biblical, but I think that's what, <laughs> that's what the, I mean, that's what the Greek term for salvation kind of is, is talking about the same things you're talking about, Jamal. I mean, sozo, sozo, this word means to like, yeah, it's to be saved or or what have you, but also to be made whole, to be healed to. and, And so I think about in that, that in my own life, what does it, what does it mean to be made whole or to be healed and to experience this? I mean, you experience this now and you can be made whole by not believing the same things you believed about God. And so that was a big part of my salvation, my being healed. Like not having this view that God was going to smite me if I if I said the wrong word or I prayed the prayer the wrong way or maybe I didn't love Jesus so much that day and all of a sudden, bam, God's going to strike me down or, or, or at least push that off into some future afterlife speculative, you know, whatever. At some point, he was going to get me, and so maybe being saved can be can mean being set free from our bad ideas, from our from as you might put it, Jamal, like our our 
feeling like we lack something, feeling that we're wretched worms or, you know, that, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for Jesus to come as the incarnate, you know, like God made, made human and to teach us, you're, this is not how God thinks of you. You, this is right. not how God views you. What, what a salvific act for us to learn that from the true human. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. So, and I, th- this isn't original with me and I'm sure you guys have heard this quote many times that, um, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our mind about God. Right. And even about ourselves. Right. It's gotta be Zahn. Is that Brian Zahn? Maybe? It sounds like it. If it's not, let's just say it is. Cause yeah. it sounds like him. But, uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to add, I wanted to add onto this idea of what you guys, Jamal and Matt, what you're saying about life. Um, cause I heard a really amazing, uh, illustration really, you know, back about 10 or 11 years, I guess about 11 years ago when I had my little personal epiphany about the gospel, wasn't about saying a prayer to go to heaven when I die, but the gospel that Jesus preached was about a, a kingdom and entering the kingdom now. And so, um, I heard a, a friend of mine, his name is Todd Hunter, um, is a local guy. And he was talking about the, this, the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And he was talking about when Jesus says that he came to give us life and to give it abundantly. And he, he was making the point that the, the kind of life Jesus was talking about bringing us isn't, wasn't, uh, that word isn't about quantity or like duration. It's about quality, right? It's, uh, it's mm. the God-like life. Um, it's a life that has the quality of, of, of God. And so here's, here's the illustration he used. I'm going to do it quickly if I can. He said, you know, um, just to say that things are alive doesn't really, doesn't really tell us anything. So he says, for example, uh, I could get a plant and put it on the edge of the stage here and it's alive, right? It's, it's a living thing. But if I try to have a conversation with the plant, it won't answer me. If I throw a ball, it will, it won't throw it back to me. Um, but if I had a cat, Right now, a cat is also alive, and if I if I roll the ball at the cat, it might bat it back at me and play with it. Right? Okay, so that it has it has a little different life uh, quality of life than the plant does. They're both living, but the cat life is a, is a little more advanced, right? But yet, if I try to have a conversation with the cat, he'll just look at me or you know ignore me. Um, but you know, if uh, if there was like a a five year old kid, and that five year old kid you know came in, I could. I could toss him the ball. He toss it back. I'd have a, have a conversation. He would talk back to me. And, and again, all three, the plant, the cat, and the child are all alive, but they're the kind of life that they embody is all is exponentially different. Right. And he said that when Jesus comes and tells us that by knowing him and, and being drawing near to him and that he abides in us and we abide in him, he would give us, uh, an additional exponential kind of life. It's, it's, it's higher. It's as high above, you know, the, 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 the human life we have now as the cat life is, is above the plant. And as the child's life is above the, the cat or the animal. So uh, anyway, I, I always, I love that illustration. I always thought that was a really interesting way of putting it. And I think that's, I think that's, I think I'm agreeing with what you're saying uh, you guys that um if I'm understanding you guys correctly, that that's really more of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about giving us life, right? Salvation is about having a kind of life that is far and above, uh, not, not length or duration as much as it is the kind and quality. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. I think that's a there's some beautiful points you're making there, Keith. And I I do think it's about the highest form of life. This you know, the Zoe life, the Greek use the Greek word Zoe, uncreated yeah. life that that we're meant yeah. to actually live by. And I think, you know, go back to the Genesis story, and I believe it's a story. I don't get caught up in the details and like take it literally, but I do believe behind that story is it's inspired to to give us an indication of like, you know, when, when Adam and Eve, when they, you know, when they took from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they said, you know, you, you will die. And they did. And by death, I think that death isn't, we tend to think of things like, you know, obviously the, the body ceasing to exist and that kind of thing. But, um, but actually the death is not a ceasing to exist. The death is you lose, you lose the awareness of this highest, which is the highest quality of uncreated life, divine life, which is present. It's 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 the now. It's the eternal present. Um, we lose. If you think about the people who are suffering, they're all, they're never in the present. I mean, think about it. anybody you know. Maybe you're out there. You're like suffering. Think about it. You what what causes your suffering? You're thinking about the past pain that you've experienced in the past. You're worried about the future, you know. But you're not present because in the present is where you find this. Is where you is where you really enjoy the, the the existence of love and of that you're okay and everything's fine in this very moment. It's that you lose contact with the present when you get you know believe think that you're not enough or you believe in separation. That's why I really believe when Jesus came, you know, the declaration of Jesus coming is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And why is that good news? Why is that the gospel? Because that is actually. It, it starts to heal the rift in our thinking and our mindset that's caused this death, which is somehow that we're separated or we're not, we're not, we're not in the divine. We're not expressions of the divine. You know, it's um, that we're alone, that we have to survive and work by the sweat of our brow to, to just, you know, make ends meet and survive. Like all of that is hell. We were not created for that. We were created to actually um, to be at rest and to be at peace and to realize that everything we need, we have. And uh, life's a flow, and really, it's all about being present and flowing in this love. I totally agree with all that, but as I'm want to do, I'm going to have to problematize things. Mm. Take a shot, and and I'm just yeah, I'm just pausing for everyone to take a shot. All right, you could probably got it down by now. Um, so so something <laughs> so something in, something in come Sunday that was interesting. Um, you know, when 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 Pearson came out with uh you know his revelation and speaking to that um a verse that uh that his interlocutors pushed back was romans 10 9 and of course that's the one that says if you declare with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you'll be saved and and a lot of christians like to talk about like to think about this in terms of the afterlife and so i Okay, let's 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 play a, a you know a thought experiment and say that this is about the afterlife. I, I was I was seriously like sitting listening to this movie like writhing about because I was just like, oh man, yes, I understand that verse, but there's so many others that if we're just thinking about in the, these traditional, we'll call them heaven and hell dichotomy. Doesn't Paul also say that all will declare this? Is yes. it? It, so I was just sitting there like wanting to yell at my my computer screen at this net, Netflix movie like yeah Paul does say that in 10:9. He also says that every knee will bow and every every tongue will give praise to God that Jesus is Lord. So it's like yep. you can you know this whole this whole business of we can just throw bible verses back and forth at each other is just such 
bullshit. Like, yeah, you can it, to use ten nine Romans ten nine as a proof text for hell. You could just sit there and turn around and use fourteen eleven or Philippians two ten through eleven, which is almost almost reads just like Romans fourteen eleven as a proof text that all are gonna all are gonna experience this life. And it was just so shocking to me that, well, it's not shocking to me anymore because I've had the same pushback that that Carlton Pearson has had just on a smaller scale that people would just like, they just, they don't want people to have this life. It's just sickening to me. Like, like, like we're taking those of us who believe that this life is going to be this life that we talk about in the here and now and on into the forever. Like I, I believe this life that we can experience in Jesus is always there for us, whether, you know, whether we die or not, like why, why would death thwart Jesus? Like, give me a break. But Right. Why why we want to take this life that is always there away from people just shocks me. It's just it's mind-boggling to me, you know. Yeah. And, and here's a thought about and I have this thought about I appreciate you bringing up that that's that scripture, you know, when Peter says, you know, confess Jesus with your mouth, um and he says this in Acts 2 when he's um when he's preaching to the, you know, confess Jesus with you that with your mouth and believe in your heart that he was, you know, crucified and rose from the dead and and you'll be saved, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's um, or Romans ten nine when that's that's also repeated by Paul. Like I think that um, for a Jewish audience, so to speak, in a Jewish mindset, there's some truth to that. So, like for example, in the Jewish mind, and again, context matters. So you go back to the context. <clears throat> you know, the, the Jewish people were looking for a kingdom. We're looking for a literal kingdom. You know, uh, salvation in the sense from the Romans, from the political empire of the day, to be free of that. And they were looking for the Messiah to do that. And they had you know, rejected Jesus. They rejected the message of, of like, Hey, the kingdom is now the one, the kingdom you're looking for. It's like already here. It's actually within you. Like they rejected all that. So they're, they're suffering. And so like literally for them, salvation for them meant accepting the Lordship of Jesus, accepting um, that, that he was that Messiah that came to proclaim this message of the kingdom is now the kingdom is within you. Eternal life is now like totally flip their paradigm. Like they're not going to get what they're looking for. They're, they're looking for a tangible political, you know, ruler to come and overthrow the Romans. Well, that's not, that's not actually part of the deal. Like that's not what's happening in the world. So um, for them, that's what that meant. But I would, I would, I think Christians make a mistake when they assume that that's necessary for all people to experience salvation because Again, I know what Paul says when he says, look, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I think there's many ways to do that. I think the essence behind that. So when somebody, let's see, I mean, this is just my personal understanding, but I know people who do not um, who, who do not come from a Christian tradition and really may not even know the essence of what Jesus did on the cross or, you know, that he rose from the dead. You know, I, I believe that, but I don't know that that everybody in the world believes that, but I think somebody can experience the Zoe uncreated life of God and experience salvation in the sense of like flow and the, you know, the yoke is easy and the burden is light and living um, by love and in love and through love. Like, I think that's absolutely possible when these ideas of separation, because really what Jesus came to do is to demonstrate the fact that God is with us. Well, that when somebody can come to that understanding, when they can come to a proper view of who they are and the proper view of that God is with us and connected in us, like we are declaring, they are, in my opinion, declaring the very essence of what Jesus came to do, uh, which is not about 
I don't think Jesus cares if somebody bows their knee to him, like an ego thing, like, hey, you better bow your knee to me, um, and then you're saved, or you better like declare like that I'm Lord, so that you're saved. I don't think I don't think I really don't believe that Jesus is into ego in that sense. But I think once you when you agree or accept the essence of what he came to to accomplish, then that in it by itself is declaring that. And I'm not so sure that people actually have to subscribe doctrinally to these ideas about Jesus in order to experience eternal life. Well, you know, there's the um, there's the statement that um, you know Jesus is the only way t- um, to the Father, but there's many ways to Jesus, <laughs> and th- and I don't even think I agree with what you're saying, Jamal. That uh, it's possible even for someone to experience everything that they would receive from Jesus, and and maybe even they are experiencing it because and through Jesus, they may not, they just may not know that they should call that Jesus. Right. And and I don't think I mean honestly, do we want to do we want to sit here and say that when when Paul says that all will declare Jesus Lord, like someone like Gandhi is going to be like, well, fine. No, I think it's just going to be like, okay, cool, yeah, that sounds good. It's like why why do we have to believe the right things about Jesus? Yeah, and then we're going to assume like the way we the way we've approached like these verses that Paul talks about, like oh, they're all just going to do it begrudgingly, and it's like really that's I think Christians honestly are going to be the ones who do it begrudgingly. And and I don't mean all Christians, but I mean there'll be some Christians who will sit there and declare Jesus as Lord because they don't understand his lordship is nonviolent. It's non-coercive. Right. And they'll be the they'll be the Christians who will be the last to bow their knee and be like, "Well, fine. The nonviolent Lord is the nonviolent Messiah." And we've talked about this before, like it's just shocking that Christians will talk about their religion as a peaceful religion but then they won't accept a nonviolent messiah it's like what yeah that, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever yeah, it's a huge disconnect i think gandhi someone like gandhi would be the first to declare and give praise that jesus is lord and be like okay that sounds good to me oh, yeah oh yeah because <laughs> they understand they understand what what kind of life jesus was bringing now yeah know? well and the and that's the thing i mean and in the in the scenario you're describing you know uh you're right i can see I see a whole bunch of evangelical Christians um, on that day. We're all, you know, every single human being that's ever lived is standing before the throne of Jesus. Uh, and when they look around them and realize that they're in the minority and there's a whole bunch of Muslims and Hindus and well, pretty much everybody that's ever lived is all standing around and they're all uh, bowing the knee and gladly proclaiming. By the way, that word gladly is in that verse in Philippians. It says every knee will uh, every every uh, knee will bow and every tongue will gladly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a, it's not it's not being ripped from their throats. It's be it's like they're they're like yes, Jesus is Lord. He's awesome. Like maybe some of them are realizing for the first time, oh, that's who I was following. Oh, that's what this was all about. Um, but 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 the Christians, a lot of evangelical Christians, I think, are going to be like the older brother in the prodigal son story, who are going to be like you know, kind of pissed off, like, well, hey, God, look, we got to talk. Can I, can I, can we get a private moment here? Come on, Jesus. Listen, um, listen, we, you know, we were on your team from day one. Uh, these other people over here, you know what I mean? They were worshiping Buddha and and Vishnu and Krishna and Ganesh. And uh, some of them didn't even worship you at all. And some of them denied, they mocked you like that guy over there. See that guy right there? Oh man, he used to do a podcast where he would mock you and he would make fun of Jesus. And he told everybody you weren't real. And this guy over here, he wrote books to tell people that you didn't exist, you know, and, and you're letting them in the part, you're, you're throwing a party for those guys. You're going to let them come sit at the, 
at the table with you. And by the way, and with me, I've got to sit next to them. I think a lot of Christians are going to be the ones who have the most trouble. Um, and maybe, maybe we're going to have to be the ones that stand outside the party for a while uh, until we get over it and come on inside and have a seat. <laughs> well, to, to use the analogy of Jesus being the, <clears throat> the last Adam, like Paul refers to him as, I think you can't, like when we start talking about the lordship of Jesus, I don't think we're singling Jesus out when we claim him to be Lord, because just like we would, if we talked about Adam, um, we're not really singling Adam out apart from the rest of humanity. We're saying, hey, Adam is the icon that includes all of humanity. But the same, tr- the same thing is true also, I think, if we use Paul's understanding of Jesus as the last Adam, is that we're talking about all of humanity because what is the, what is the concept of Adam represent? All, wholeness, everyone. So like the entire human race is enco- in, in, encapsulated in Adam, and that is also true in the last Adam. So when we, set, we talk about the lordship of Jesus, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're talking about that this includes everybody because that is the original state of humanity, that we actually come from the divine as expressions, mirror images of the divine. So, of course, we would be like we would like the, to declare the lordship of Jesus is to declare the lordship of all of us because we're all in yeah. this, this Christ, you know? So, again, this is using terminology, I think, that is necessary for a Jewish audience or people who are familiar with a Jewish audience. But again, going back to this idea of like, whenever we do something in the name of another person, again, it's not about ego. It's like you are champion. We champion Jesus every time we talk about like, and I love what, uh, in our, in the interview with, uh, with Carlton Pearson, he mentioned, and I love this. People don't know this about Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham has a huge ministry and, you know, for years, you know, was preaching. He was an evangelist, obviously preaching salvation in the traditional sense of, hey, that you accept Jesus, you'll go to heaven when you die. That was his life. I get it. But towards the end, Billy Graham had some epiphanies and some awakenings, you know, and one of the things that he said, I love how Carlton brought this out is like, hey, you know, like instead of telling people that they we they need to believe certain things about Jesus in order to be saved, he goes, I, if I could do it over, basically his statement was, I think we, I really wish I'd have spent more time just helping people understand that they're loved and accepted by God. Yes. Like, could that be salvation? Like when somebody knows that they are already, no, they don't need to do anything. <laughs> they don't need to believe anything to be loved and accepted by God. They already are. And if people can know and believe that, that removes the state of suffering and, pun- and like the punishment, and not from God, but from internally, this, this darkness that really affects all humans. Like if they could understand that at a basic level, then that is salvation. And that was a huge epiphany and paradigm shift for Billy Graham towards the end of his life. And I love how Carlton Pearson brought that out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally. Yeah, the end of. I mean, it seems that we all soften up as we get older. Like, mm-hmm. especially us who we believe in hell. It's like, man, when you get closer to death, it's just things. For not only Billy Graham, but I've heard of other of other people that, you know, as they get older, they they kind of soften on their their stance that they maybe had when they were when they were younger. But Jamal, going back to your your comments on Jesus' lordship, I'm not gonna. I don't know if I can go so far as to agree with you on. On, on what you said. But what I will say is that I think you're spot on in that Paul, when he talked about this uh, Adam and Christ dichotomy, that yes, it's absolutely corporate. You know, it's, it's none of this business that, I mean, no Christian would disagree with you that all are not in Adam. 
we would all say we're all sinful because of Adam. And we're all gonna we're all gonna die because of Adam. Right. And then when it gets to Christ, somehow that's not all anymore. And I but I'm right <laughs> with you. And I think this is was, was Paul's intent that yes, just just like in Adam, the the life that Christ brings is for the same all. I mean, how could it not be? Paul is, I think, way too wonky of a thinker if if that's not the case because it just creates this nonsense as you know in romans 5 and 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 first corinthians as well it's just if the same all are not included like it it's just a weird way to write like i I would never write like that um but but i will i will agree with you that if if and i think clement of alexandria the early patristic father would ask the rhetorical question how can we declare jesus as lord if jesus is not lord over all Right. Like, that's a brilliant question. What do we say? I mean, if we're declaring that Jesus is Lord, what do we mean by Lord? Well, only over some, the, those who are going to heaven, those who have salvation, the rest be damned. It's like, well, then Jesus isn't Lord. And, and you know, yeah. Yeah. And I might, I might say that, you know, Jesus is Lord through all as all. Um, I, I don't, I, I mean, I might, um, that's kind of how I kind of see the Lordship of Jesus. Like it's like, whether, you know, the name or the right doctrinal ideas about Jesus. Jesus, and, we're, and by Jesus, I'm we're talking about his Christ nature, the Christ consciousness that exists in all people, as John points out in his gospel in John one. You know, or, but like this essence is the, the lordship of Jesus. Like when people are restored to a right identity in the sense of like knowing who they are, and then this love is able to function and manifest through all people. I do really believe that's the lordship of the Christ that's being manifested through all as all are functioning in who they are. That's just my understanding of that. I don't see it in a more, you know, traditional sense of like, okay, Jesus is like this King who um, sits on a throne and then we're kind of the subjects in which he is Lord over all. I don't, that's just not my understanding of that. Oh, I would, um, I would agree with you. And, and I would never say Jesus is Lord over all. He would be Lord under all maybe yeah. like he, we serve from below. We our Lord. It's power is completely subverted when it comes to Jesus. There's no lording over anything, right? And yeah. So I, yeah, I can't disagree with what you just said. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I've thought about it in the more in the sense of. I mean, by the way, I love what you just said there, Matt. I think that's awesome. Like we we still have this old way of thinking. You know, we we haven't fully had our metanoia yet. If we're still thinking of Jesus uh, being Lord as being this this power over dominating uh you know sort of zeus like god because now now you're making him to what exactly he said he was not in which he and what he demonstrated he was not right right so right. he came to subvert all of those ideas and then and you know in some way we're trying to put him back there try to put him back on that in that uh sort of on the top and we're on the bottom because you know mm -hmm. jesus whole thing was i don't call you servants or slaves i call you friends like that's pretty radical, you know? Um, I guess I think of lordship though, in the sense of, um, it's just more of a, uh, like for myself personally, when I think about Jesus being Lord, it just means that I'm, uh, I'm submitting my will to him in the sense of like, I think he's right. I think he has the right ideas about life and about God. And I'm just willing to lay aside my own ideas about that in, in favor of, uh, trusting his ideas about it. So I guess for me, it's just, that's what I mean when I think of Jesus being Lord, but. Yeah. And, and speaking of, and I think this is kind of setting up our next episode uh, on the heretic happy hour uh, next week. And basically 
you know, a lot of times when we talk about Christ, you know, a lot of times, you know, we use that in, in synonymous with Jesus. But, but um, I think there is a need to really explore or talk about this idea of when we say Christ is Lord. I mean, I think we go, my personal understanding is that we go beyond the person of Jesus. We're talking about the cosmic nature of Christ. And so that's going to be the subject of our next episode on the Heretic Happy Hour is this cosmic Christ, this Christ that uh, incorporates really everything. And uh, so then our guest, um, our, our Heretic of the Week next week will be Father Richard Rohr, who's going to touch on that. But um, And that will be our, and we'll, we'll get into that in as far as discussion-wise in, in our episode. So we're excited to have that conversation uh, next week. And so we hope everybody will tune in for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. I mean, I'm really, that was a great interview. I love that one. Yeah, yeah good stuff. Well, people have been dying for it. So it's finally coming, everybody. Yeah. And, um, we do have a hotline. Uh, did we answer that? <laughs> I think we do have a hotline. I don't know. Shoot I don't have the number now. in front of me, but. Shoot me now. Gosh, I, I don't have that number, but somebody out there has got the number, I think. Give us a call. <laughs> And don't forget about the Patreon page. And the Heretic Happy Hour website, heretichappyhour.com. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Good luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs>